Federal human resources employees now have a standard set of data and business elements and performance measures to lean on as they modernize their hiring and other things they do. The HR line of business and quality service management office, the HR Quizmo, completed the effort earlier this year. Jeff Pollack is the Human Resources Line of Business Program Manager at the Office of Personnel Management. Steve Krauss is Senior Advisor for the HR Quizmo. They tell Federal News Network's Jason Miller and Drew Friedman about how these standards will bring more efficiency and better results to HR functions. First, you hear from Jeff Pollack. It includes the portion of the human capital business reference model, which is kind of our guiding principle for human capital management. That includes the employee life cycle. So what's posted on GSA's USSM website are the five functional areas that encompass the employee life cycle, talent acquisition, talent development, employee performance management, compensation management, and separation and retirement. And then to complete the human capital business reference model, we've posted the rest of the functional areas, which include enabling and supporting areas on regulations.gov for comment. Those will make it to USSM's website in the upcoming months. Let me kind of back us up a little (laughs) bit. Back in January when we talked, the HR standards, as Steve said, this was kind of a a lot of work that went into this to understand, okay, what what goes into this? And now these are, when we talk about standards, these are data standards, these are taxonomies. Walk us through a little bit what this is, because folks hear standards and they can go in all different directions. Those are kind of everything that you just mentioned in terms of the standards. They include the data standards. When GSA created the format for the Federal Integrated Business Framework, the FIBF, those are the service profiles for how mission support delivers on their functional work. So there is an FIBF standard for financial management. There's an FIBF standard for cybersecurity, et cetera. What we are, what OPM owns is the FIBF for human capital management. So what, what does the F, what is the FIBF made up of? It's made up of service activities. So it breaks down each portion of the human capital business reference model into different activities that need to be completed to be considered to deliver on that functional area, as well as capabilities or what I call requirements for actually down to the regulation law policy level of what you need to deliver, data standards, so what data elements do you need in order to deliver on these standards, as well as performance metrics to determine how well you're doing on delivering on these capabilities and on these data elements. I do want to just mention that these are not system requirements. These are not IT requirements. These are requirements to deliver human capital management in the federal agencies. What is your vision for how agencies will actually use these standards then? And what is your role in helping them kind of adhere or adopt the standards? We are seeing agencies apply these standards in a variety of ways. Some of these are kind of mature examples that we can point to, and others are sort of developing and evolving as we speak. So in in speaking with agencies, we've already 
seen examples where agencies have used the human capital business reference model to check their own human capital organization to check their HR functions, how they have them organized, almost using them as a checklist to make sure that they are covering all the things that they need to be covering. In the area of data standards, we're seeing um, agencies and OPM really start to use the data standard as sort of a translator to be able to take the data from agency systems and compare that. And as OPM is building dashboards and analytic tools for government-wide use, these standards are, are becoming uh, very influential in, in terms of enabling the data to be interoperable and to build government-wide pictures of important topics like attrition and time to hire and DEIA and things of that nature. And then what we're also seeing is, you know, while, while Jeff mentioned that the standards themselves are not IT requirements, there are several efforts underway across a, a number of different agencies who are engaged in HR IT modernization efforts, and they are actually starting to build IT requirements, and they're using the standards as a foundation and a baseline to start from. And, and that is really important. That really is consistent with what we've envisioned all along, is that agencies can, can use those standards to kind of ground the, the common framework that they start with, and then they, then they can ask from there, what in addition to those standards might we need? And that's where we see these standards and the, and the um, evolving requirements that come from them being a really good way of laying the groundwork and communicating between government and our industry partners, because then companies in the market can use these standards and these requirements to understand what their products need to be able to do in order to truly serve the, uh, the needs of federal agencies. Steve, you bring up an interesting point about the, the technology side, because one one thing that's always been challenging is, has there been a set of, okay, where do we all start from? A floor, if you will, on HR standards. And I know over the years, this effort, HRLOB, the line of business has tried to do that. Do you feel like you've gotten to, that's where you're at today? Like you've got the initial floor laid, the foundation. I know it's a commonly used word, one we used previously. Uh, Jeff or Steve, I'll throw it to either of you, but, but this is... This now, every agency now has a starting point, and that, and that feels probably really good. So this is Jeff. So yeah, Jason, I think that what we have built and what we, what we can promote is the first version of the employee life cycle of those standards. The rest of the picture is in the regulations.gov posting waiting for more, more public review. But what we have established is that first version. And what we've spent many, many years doing in building these standards is the culmination of all that work and the ability to put them out in a post in a, in a public forum for agencies to address and to use. Uh, I did want to kind of circle back to one thing that I want I meant to mention that Drew had asked, and that's kind of like what are the next steps or or where does the HRLOB go with this? So over the course of these years and building the standards, that's where our momentum has been. It's been on, on creating version one of the standards. Where we want to go now and where we're starting to work with agencies are the adoption of the standards, how they can use them, where they can do uh, better work with them and be more efficient. They, the agencies, have contributed their time 
and money in certain circumstances to build these for the purpose of the idea that each individual agency wouldn't have to do it on their own, that the sum was greater than their parts. So what we're doing now is turning around and pivoting in a software development type way from the development stage into the implementation stage and working with the agencies who might want to put out a new contract to do and deliver on, let's say, workforce and performance analytics and have a baseline requirements of what that means in the federal government. So it's exciting. We're setting up one on one um, meetings with the agencies who might be uh, interested in in following that evolution. Jeff Pollack is the Human Resources Line of Business Program Manager at the Office of Personnel Management. Steve Kraus is the Senior Advisor for the HR Quizmo Quality Service Management Office there. Speaking with Federal News Network's Jason Miller and Drew Friedman. Check out their story at federalnewsnetwork.com. Leadership today, especially within the federal workforce, is being tested more than ever before. As the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency's Chief People Officer, Elizabeth Comstetter sees a focus on people as absolutely crucial to her leadership style. Comstetter joined Shane Canfield, WEPA CEO, to reflect on her years of experience leading in the federal human capital space. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today I'm joined by Dr. Elizabeth Comstetter, Chief People Officer, at the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency. Elizabeth, welcome. Thank you, great to be here. In your current position at CISA, one of your responsibilities is ensuring a people-first culture. Explain what that is, and, and what's the role of leadership in creating and shaping that culture? Yes, at CISA, really paramount to our culture is a people-first driven aspect, so that we are really looking at how do we accomplish our mission through our people? And in order to do that, we really value our people. We want them to feel empowered and supported and uh, respected, and also that their managers care about them. So well-being is important. Psychological safety in the workplace is important, so that all voices and ideas are heard. So I like to call it our North Star. Having a people-first culture really starts with the people in order to get our incredibly difficult mission accomplished. In terms of leadership, which is a great question, I think we all know that culture is really driven by leadership and the, the behaviors that we allow and we uh, you know, uh, reinforce in our leaders. So we really work at making sure that our leaders are bringing out the best in their people every day. So again, that they feel they can bring their voice, especially an opinion that might not go along with the majority of a group, so that we get that diverse perspective, we get those different ideas and experiences. And that's really where we find that it's important that leaders are purposefully bringing out their talent on their teams to enable our mission. Yeah, excellent. We're, we're going through a, a culture project at our work. Oh, great. Yeah, it's, um, it's been six months in the making and it's going really well, but it is work. Yes. And it requires from the top down. So I'm, I'm also involved in that. I hear you. Great. Throughout your career, you piloted many different talent management programs, including at NASA, the CIA, the FBI, just to name a few, and you have an amazing career. What have you learned or how have you might have changed along the way in creating and leading those programs? 
Yes, and I, I, I am so honored to have had a career in public service across multiple federal agencies, always in the realm of human resources and workforce performance. And I think because I study organizations and people in them, I've come to realize, particularly in the federal government, that many of our programs are really grounded in the industrial era thinking that this is organizationally structured in a hierarchy with boxes and lines on charts, uh, with the center being around jobs and what do we need to get this job done in terms of skills and training. And what I found is that we're really not in the industrial era anymore where we would promote the smartest people who knew that work and they would then tell the people on their team how to do things and oversee that work. We're now in a digital era and the information era where work gets done collaboratively across geographic boundaries and certainly across org charts. So uh, we like to call it networks um, or hierarchies. And we really need to, again, unleash people so they can find those other people who are working on similar problems or have the right ideas. And so I really like to think of our work now in the talent programs being human-centered. It's more about the user and the experience than about the rules and regulations. So although we have to have rules and regulations, certainly in human resources, is that person experiencing what they need and getting what they need for their role at that time? So not so much on the job, but on the person. So for example, we're recruiting. What's the applicant experiencing? Because if they're not having a good experience with our organization from the time we're recruiting them, they're going to go work for somebody else. Same thing with like first-time supervisors. We know they need certain training, but telling them to sit in a class for one week and then hope a year from now they'll remember what they learned to apply, that's not really human-centered. The human-centered is what do they need when they need it and building modules or, or just-in-time training and bringing that to the people, to that user as they need it. So that's really, I think, the most important focus of talent programs today in this era to enable the workers to be the best they can be in their, in their roles. Excellent. New thinking. Um, this is always an interesting question. Has there been a time when, as a leader, that you've made a mistake? And what is that? And um, I think most important, what did you take away from that? What did you learn from that? Well, I kind of chuckle because I think as leaders, we have to learn to recognize our mistakes, admit our mistakes, and that they are opportunities to learn. And so uh, I've had to do my own self-reflection on, on making mistakes and when things don't turn out the way that I expected them to. Um, makes me think of a time when I was at the Transportation Security Administration and I was a supervisor. And I was really embroiled with my program. I was the technical leader of it. I understood it. I'd run it for years. And I was making a briefing for a decision that had to be made about this program that was very near and dear to me. And I presented the briefing uh, to one of the very senior people in the agency and I think there are about 20 people in the room. And I had gone through the briefing, answered all the questions, and that leader then said, okay, I'm going to go around the room and get everybody's opinion, and then everybody gets to vote, which kind of set me aback because there were people in that room that didn't have any technical knowledge about my program. She even turned to the executive assistant there, taking notes on the meeting, and said, go ahead, and I want to hear from you. And I realized, in hindsight, 
I had stopped listening. I had been in transmitting all of my knowledge and what I saw to be the right way, and I was not listening to different perspectives in the room because I didn't think that, I didn't value that they were bringing any kind of input to this particular decision. And it didn't go as I had hoped, and I left very disappointed and was busy blaming the senior leader and how that meeting was conducted, that she let all these people have opinions when they didn't know, in my mind, didn't know what they were talking about. And so um, in reflection on that, I realize, and now as I've moved into more senior leadership positions, I realize that was a mistake, that it actually is really important to listen, especially to people who have different perspectives or at a different point in the career, not just the people who know the program or the technical really well. And so that was a mistake I made, and I realized in my own sense I wasn't listening to very different opinions, and I probably should have because I would have learned more about what was needed for this program going forward than just leaving, getting, getting upset that it didn't go a certain way. So I've really practiced active listening. I've practiced making sure there's very different people on um, teams and certainly on committees or councils that we need early careers, people new to the agency, mm -hmm. people who haven't walked in the shoes of the technical workforce because they're asking questions we need to hear for these programs to be successful. Excellent. Your career in talent management means your work is very closely tied to people. And even your title, chief people officer, what does that mean to you to be a leader in the federal system with that focus. Isn't that a great title? I just love the title Chief People Officer, and I think it's my dream job, really, to be focused on people and culture and the workforce strategy for the whole agency. And I'm just so excited to be at CISA at this point in time. We're only four years young as an agency, so we're really still creating who we're going to become as an agency and what is our culture and what kind of people and talent do we need to be sure we have to be successful? So it's very exciting for me to be in this role with a intentional focus on culture because it's one of those things, if you leave it to chance and you kind of hope it goes the way you want it to, it probably won't. So by building programs, including leadership development programs, including um, any kind of training and learning and career growth, and um, engagement programs and listening programs. That's what's really key for, I think, for our agency and particularly me in this role. Um, I think in the federal government, we got used to doing annual survey, the Federal Employee Viewpoint Survey that OPM, Office of Personnel Management, runs every year. So we would do a survey and we'd read it and we'd say, oh, this is the opinion of our people. And then we would do action plans and then we'd roll out certain activities that we would hope would, in would increase engagement. In this era, you can't do once a year and understand what your employees' experiences are, what they need, what's working well, and what needs to improve. We need active, uh, ongoing listening programs. So one of the things we're doing at CISA is having more pulse surveys, having more focus groups and what we call sensing sessions, expecting our leaders to have office hours where anybody can come and just talk about what's going well, what do they need, how, how are things going, um, because I, we feel like it is an ongoing need to hear from our people. And I think in this role and over the years of serving, I've also realized there's never a one-size-fits-all. You know, we think certain people need certain things at certain times in their career. There's no one-size-fits-all. 
neither can we also customize everything to every individual. So there's got to be a sweet spot in building really great talent programs, but also, like I said, thinking about can we do this in modules? Can we make it a menu? Can we do it just in time as people need it so they can practice the new skill or knowledge in their role? So I think we have such great opportunity, again, with the technology that enables us to really um, focus on how we connect people with their work and their team to get things done in, in very new ways. This is always an interesting question. Is there a figure, either from your personal life, your past, somewhere in history generally, that inspired you, your leadership style, um, how you view leadership? There are many figures who have been very inspirational to me, but there is one that sticks out, and that's my mother, Paula Brownlee, who has been a very inspiring leader to me all my life. And I think because, first and foremost, she had a strong family and a strong career, and that's something I always wanted. And I saw her first as my mother, but then I also saw her as a leader in her career and in academia, which was her chosen field. But I always knew her family came first. And as I saw how she balanced different family needs with also a, a growing and more and more prominent um, career positions in leadership, that she had to balance that. And I think I learned from her that you can have both. You have to, you have to focus on different things through your career um, and through your life, but that you don't have to trade one for the other. Um, I've been married, happily married for 32 years, and I'm a mother of twins who are almost 24 years old. So, and I've had a great career in public service. So I think that having her as a role model has really helped me um, find my own courage, find my own confidence, and find my own voice in how I can prioritize the things that are most important to me so that I can actually balance both family and career. And you're doing it well. You're, Thank uh, you. Having known you now for seven or eight years yeah. um, and worked alongside you, uh, your passion is infectious. Thank you. Your uh, intelligence and, and the thoughtfulness with which you approach uh, all of these issues, it's, uh, it's an honor for you to be here, and thank you for your time. Thank you very much. I'm Shane Canfield, CEO at WEPA, and until next time, have a great day. Find the full podcast and future episodes of Lessons in Leadership on the Federal News Network app and anywhere you enjoy your podcasts.